0: From the Clocktower Mountaineer, this is the C.S. Lewis Book Club.
1: I'm Dan. And I'm Alex. Welcome to our book club, and thank you for joining us in Season 3 as we examine the journey of Christian conversion. Today we're in the Screwtape Letters, chapters 11 through 20. And as always,
0: spoiler alert, if you haven't read along with us to this point, feel free to pause, go read, and come join us, or plow ahead with us and read later. Alex, do we have any housekeeping this morning? People are emailing us
1: some cool thoughts not related to screw Tape. That's true, and we like those. We love that. And I think we're in a good book to kind of return to other books because so many things are coming up that's like oh that reminds me of this oh yeah in narnia or that reminds me of this in that hideous strength or something like that so um yeah we'll figure out how to how to incorporate some of those emails and voice memos so thank you for sending them you know that makes our day and week do you want to jump into the summary sure Wormwood's patient is being drawn further into the inner ring of his new circle of friends, and thus farther from the enemy, only to be diverted by some real modest enjoyment. Screwtape adjusts his advice accordingly toward a corruption of the patient's humility, obedience, enjoyments, and pleasures. He explains the enemy's confusing duality of love which must not, by his understanding, actually exist because of the logical impossibility. He advises Wormwood to help the patient to focus on the experience of love, but to corrupt the meaning of love by promoting the surrounding emotions above any selfless behavior and encouraging the patient to continue to confuse love with lust. Nice. So I didn't have a theme today, but you did. Yeah. Enjoyment. There's a lot enjoyment. of, we're still like last week, kind of jumping back and forth with the intellectualizing of an experience versus the ex- just experiencing it. And like we came to the conclusion or, or Lewis through screw tape, help us helped us come to the conclusion last week that if it's a good quality, you want to just experience it. And if it's something that's bad, only keep it intellectual. And so we'll see a little bit more of a play on those negotiating that lived experience between influences of the macrobes or the devils and influences of good. We need to suppose as well that we're having thoughts and impressions by good macrobes as well. They they can't see them. They can't even, these, uh, you know, screw tape and wormwood can't really understand that part of the communication they can't really hear it they're only supposing what's being said from that other side um and they call it this asphyxiating cloud sometimes you know the experience of joy and so being in that difficult process which is what i think is everyday life of just negotiating those different poles and we're only seeing it from one direction and I thought it was very instructive. And every every chapter through, I'm like, oh, this is why he wrote that part in that bo- in that other book. And it makes a lot more sense. I'm trying not to get too analytical. But my experience through these chapters was one of stop thinking about virtue so much and just treat people well. Act. Yeah. That's one we'll get to.
0: Your theme of enjoyment reminds me of the chapter about past, present, and future, and multiple times throughout the Screw Tape letters, Screw Tape reminds Wormwood, we don't care about like once the pleasure is actually being enjoyed or in the present moment, the sin already happened, and the sin was in the future, and and, and he goes through, he catalogs the different sins that usually are pushed out
1: to the future in in the in the patient's mind, in right. the patient's in mind, the, in the preoccupation of the future. Yes. But once the sin is committed, the, like, you know, the sin of lust, there's a, a, a pleasure that comes along. And that pleasure they would do away with if they could. Yeah, they would
0: right. do. And so when I think of enjoyment, it's just like, you know, those things that pull us out of real, genuine enjoyment and how the virtues call us back to actually be in the moment and have
1: genuine enjoyment. So I, I love that thing. Yeah, that, that got me thinking how much time I spend worried about the future not not only worried but like lustfully gluttonous about the potential of gain of the future and maybe that cryptocurrency will make me rich sort of thing. <laughs> oh no
0: <laughs> we're now two dudes in their 30s on a podcast and we just said cryptocurrency i'm talking about that as being a state of mind i don't want to oh, be no. in
1: <laughs> well <laughs> So no more cryptocurrency. No more
0: cryptocurrency. <laughs> <laughs> you said something that that. Uh, what, what were you just saying right before that? Right before I derailed us with <laughs> crypto, <laughs> with abstract. <laughs> what were quasi- you just saying?
1: Entrepreneurism.
0: <laughs> as far as how much you worry about the future, reading these chapters and and really since we started with one through ten, the line that's kept coming back is just bearing the cross of the present, and how often if I. Really stopped and think, okay, hey, what am I anxious about? Most of it's pretty far out there. Yeah. Most of it isn't necessarily even going to happen. It doesn't even exist in reality, but it's just something I'm worried about. And the thing I actually have to worry about today is a lot easier to handle and it doesn't cause that much stress. Right. And so I've been, this has been almost daily for the last two weeks since we've been doing screw tape, is I've been thinking, what do I actually need to worry
1: about in the next 24 hours? Right. Yeah. And so, this book's working almost like therapy for me yeah, because for I'm, me. I think I'm a kind of anxious person. I think I have, well, I know I have. I've looked at the DSM. <laughs> I, I think <laughs> <laughs> I have markers for uh, generalized anxiety, but obviously those exist on a spectrum. So I'm not going to diagnose myself with that. But these perspectives or the anti-perspectives to what the demons are trying to, or I don't want to say demon because that's often used from a medieval perspective as at least morally neutral. Our tempters. Devils. Devils. Devils is is usually uh, negative. But this is helping me address very real aspects of my lived experience that if I understand what's being said, Actually, I don't even really have to understand if I just know that this is evil, what Screwtape's telling Wormwood to do to the patient is evil and I resist it, uh, it'll make my day-to-day life better. It will make me less anxious. It'll, it'll help me experience even modest pleasures and live in a state of enjoyment and thus joy more consistently. And that's, hey, if we can do that for ourselves in this and help other people through that process uh-oh i just i just felt a swell of pride we better take a break <laughs> <laughs> better laugh at yourself and then take a break <laughs> yeah okay so we'll take a break and get back into the chapters
0: All right. I usually say let's jump in. Today we're going to launch into chapter 11.
1: <laughs> it'll, it'll seem like being thrust out by how quickly we co- go in or thrust in by how quickly we go into the chapter. You're
0: already here. We're here. <laughs> so, chapter 11, um, chapter 11, friends of the reliable sort. Was, and I was like, <laughs> I don't want to be reliable. <laughs> Not in that way. <laughs> what, what makes like, to be thoroughly unreliable for the, for the, um, yeah, what are they reliable for? We're not calling them devils. Or are we calling them devils? We're calling them devils, not Sorry. demons. I think that's so. What I want I mean. to be thoroughly unreliable for the devils yeah. coming for me. Uh, what makes
1: these friends reliable? They're scoffers, worldly scoffers. Yeah, they have a habit of just being skeptical for, for skepticism's sake, not for truth seeking. Right, because it's important to not uh, to doubt. It's important to question the half-formed truths that are coming into your mind and see if you can complete that truth or if it is a misleading only partial untruth. Um and so questioning's good, it's important, but it has an end. The the purpose of questioning of doubting is so that you can be filled with more truth. So if your attitude towards skepticism is it makes you feel sophisticated, There's a vanity in your skepticism. It makes you feel better than other people. You can look down your nose at those simpletons who are just blind, following their blind faith. um, Then you're reliable. (laughs)
0: Okay, so this is the perfect lead-in then to what it, it talks talks about later, which is the different forms of humor and different types of jokes. And he starts at joy, which is obviously, I think, the most pure form. And you see that in that hideous strength when the when the gods of the different planets are visiting. And, you know, all of a sudden there's just natural humor and laughter that just starts to flow from the company downstairs as they're talking. And then it goes to just normal humor. You know, something's just funny and, and don't think that laughter is a bad thing. Fascinating point about even body humor isn't necessarily a bad thing unless... You're just using humor as the tool so you can talk about the things that you probably shouldn't talk about. And he uses sex as one of those things. If it's just a tool so you can spend more time thinking about sex, then that's, you know, that's something to encourage in your patient. And then lastly, the flippancy, which is the best shield to put around your patient.
1: So what were your thoughts on that whole section? We learned just by context in other books that Lewis has this, is is noticing and bringing up in his characters that the avoidance of humor is not really a virtue. Sometimes, you know, the overly sober or sober, stoic type attitude is yeah. something that's more common with people who...
0: Boo. Yeah,
1: who are boring, <laughs> who are following, who are just so easily manipulated by the macrobes
0: uh, Yeah, uh, and Lewis is funny. There's, I mean, every one of his books at some point I laugh out loud. Yeah, he He's has great. like almost... Great Legit
1: jokes, yeah. but most of his his humor is in the fun level, and he's trying to get you into. The, I get to the joy level a lot with the humor too, where I'm just so pleased. I'm just smiling as I'm reading through his books. Um, but he talks about Weston as being somebody who didn't understand the word laughter in any language, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and so he he doesn't think that laughter is bad, right? This is Lewis I'm talking about, not Screw Tape. Screw Tape's talking about laughter, and he's like, and, and warning. Wormwood don't just think that laughters are like on our side. In fact, a lot of forms of laughter, we don't even understand, which means that it's associated with joy. Whenever they're talking about it's clouded by this asphyxiating or something that they don't have access to, they don't have access to this experience of joy. And um, I'm, I'm just thinking about, and I think he brings up the reunion of friends and things that aren't even really said that are funny, but that induce laughter in them. And the devils can't even figure out what that could be. You know, it's just the pleasure, the experience and the enjoyment of each other's company. Right. And Lewis himself said that um, the, his favorite thing was the sound of male laughter, like the laughter of his friends, his close friends. And I think he's associating that with a, a an experience or at least tangential to real joy. There was something about when he talked about flippancy and this
0: armor that it creates against the enemy and how it's impossible to really make, I, I think he kind of hedges and says that many jokes about a virtue. and But that that's where flippancy can make a joke about, It can make everything into a joke because there is no punchline. It's just an assumed ridiculousness about whatever the subject is. And so if, if anything the enemy approaches us with is taken by us to be assumed with that it's ridiculous, then it makes us impenetrable to his attempts to reach us.
1: By making it a joke, it takes it out of the realm of reality or maybe even the realm of the will and puts it into that either intellectual or fantasy circle in the outside. And to make jokes out of virtues, just to like scoff at them, is to take them out of your experience. He's he's identifying the flippancy part of humor and he even identifies specifically British humor as being very good at this, but to get people to actually do kind of shameful things. It's interesting he talks about shame as being this thing that you don't want or that that the that screw tape wants to remove shame from the patient. Mm-hmm. I think in a lot of our modern culture way of talking about our experiences. We're so afraid of shame that we want to um say that shame's something you shouldn't ever feel. Um there's this there's a word in Portuguese. It's called it's safado. And it's the it's like this go-to insult for <laughs> anybody really. <laughs> see uh, for anything. And it's and it what it means is shamelessness. We,
0: sin vergüenza. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Without, <laughs> without shame. Without shame.
1: And that's something that it's like in that language and culture, they still see that shame is something that keeps people acting pr- appropriately and when people stop acting appropriately they must be without shame yeah I, you can see a lot of our pseudo psychologies of our modern time as trying to get people to avoid into, shame to avoid shame yeah exactly hmm. where do you want to go into chapter 12 chapter 12 this is one of the par- the parts that i did have and maybe he did talk about it um but he talks about making the experience of communion with God uncomfortable for the patient, where once you get them, the patients, the bipeds, once you get them feeling uncomfortable with any real religious behavior, I think communion is a good word, communion with God, um, whether that's through specific religious practice or even in the penitence of prayer that if you get them feeling maybe it's shame in a worse way shame toward the wrong thing shame toward god um, you'll try to avoid it yeah avoidance fear of confrontation yeah you don't even want to engage in anything that will make you think about your inadequacy compared to character of God. And so then the devils don't even need to do anything. You'll avoid it. You'll look for distractions from doing anything that's good for you. And I like that they're trying to keep you in this lukewarm place
0: of on one side, have the patient doing things that's creating this nebulous cloud of just, I'm probably not doing that good. But also it's probably good that they're still going to church because it's going to give them some type of anchor to be able to pat themselves on the back and say, but I, you know, I'm, I'm still going to church. I'm, I'm still good. Yeah. And so just interesting how like what they're trying to avoid is any extremes that would wake the patient up to the reality yes. of where their soul
1: actually. Yeah, exactly. One of the <laughs> screw tape says to keep somebody out away from reality is keep them in a state of fear and stupid confidence. Stupid confidence. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why I want to address my experience of anxiety, because a it's little. either fear or I bounce to stupid confidence all too too frequently.
0: I'm a little worried I'm on the latter end of the spectrum too often.
1: <laughs> anxiety isn't my thing, but stupid confidence. Do you, do you remember what Screwtape said is the way to get somebody to be avoidant to
0: communion with the enemy. When he talked about giving the patient that sense of no, nah, I'm not doing that well lately, that then that will lead to the patient not omitting to do religious duties, but just kind of disliking them. And that's that's a feeling and something that I've experienced myself that when I have when I'm not doing well lately, that I start to just have this vague sense of dislike towards activities that I know I should be doing. And so I, I really relate to this tactic. <laughs> um, like C.S. Lewis said, this was easy to write because he's writing it from his experience.
1: So is that keeping making shame something that you're experiencing the patient is experiencing rather than intellectualizing? Yeah.
0: So and so I, so what's happening is if I were in the right state of mind and and, and had my heart in the right place, I would probably be able to find more joy in those activities and at the very least i wouldn't dislike them but now now i'm pushing it outwards and externalizing it and saying oh I don't, I don't like how this person's giving this talk i don't like how this person's asking our congregation to serve in this way or whatever like it's it's pushing it outside of yourself and then just reacting to the distaste you have
1: and blaming it on
0: the thing external to you not where your heart is okay
1: Because I know that when we're experiencing things that the devils want us to, but God doesn't, we should experience it and not intellectual, or we should intellectualize it, right? So if the patient in this moment is thinking, I'm experiencing shame right now, this is what shame is like, Then, then they can actually create a plan of action Yes. That will get them Don't back do the Don't do what I'm
0: doing right now, which is I'm trying to intellectually think through <laughs> my shame so I can recognize the dislike for what it is, which is originating from myself.
1: Well, you should intellectualize <laughs> shame.
0: And that's what I'm saying, oh, okay. is, is do this. Okay. Yeah, like, what we're doing is what we should yeah, be doing. Yeah, this is what it's
1: like. Talk- Don't do this. I'm not telling the- <laughs> you.
0: Alex, let me tell you about this super annoying thing someone in my congregation did where they invited me to move a piano and... And I can't believe they asked that way. They should have asked in a different way that would have been a better way to ask me to serve them. And then as a good friend, I should say- Just show up saying, and move the piano.
1: Oh, I'll go, up and I'll go move the piano with you.
0: Right, that's right. One thing I wanted to make sure we hit on at the end of the chapter was his comment about how the the gravity of the sin doesn't matter. Mm. New devils, they want to report on great sins, but if it's murder or if it's cards- as long as it does the trick we don't care yeah they're terribly pragmatic yeah <laughs> and that's terrifying uh i think it's i think it's nice to go to bed at night and think you know i've, I've lived a pretty good life i haven't killed anybody i haven't robbed a bank i never disliked anybody unless never, they <laughs> bored me <laughs> yeah and so this is terrifying to know cuz we all have we all have little sins we may not have all killed anybody, but we all have little sins. And so I, I think really regularly assessing whether we're moving closer to the enemy or not is is a better approximation. Living on that day-to-day grace, on that day-to-day obedience,
1: got to stay in the moment. Yeah. It's interesting. The solution often to the little sins is little virtues.
0: Just tiny ones. <laughs> Well, well, it's it is, an example
1: of a little virtue. It is a little virtue. I mean, just being This grat- sounds really cute. <laughs> <laughs> to have gratitude for th- simple things, or even to do small kindness kindnesses to people that maybe you don't want to treat kindly. Um, you can't stay there forever. I mean, anytime you do something good, you're going to be called on to do some something greater. You're you're proving that you're capable of uh, of realizing real virtue. And you might actually start doing some real good. And when I say real good, I sound I, I'm like accidentally uh, diminishing the these little virtues, like I was talking about. But the solution to this flaxing cord, this this little by little uh, removal from God into a place of your own will rather than His, can be combated with something that you might not see as very momentous or important, Hmm. which is just right now, treat somebody well right now, be humble, pray all these things that, that aren't, they don't take some great saint or great, um, warrior on the enemy's side to perform.
0: You can do it right now. Naaman just go, has, needs to go baptize himself in the river. Right, exactly. Don't the, look for some great thing. In the next chapter, Screwtape gets scared because Wormwoods let him slip through his fingers.
1: Yeah, because he actually enjoyed something that he liked. He was he. He read a book and went for a walk, or and something? then and then went and uh, I don't know. Had tea. Probably it was had tea. Lewis talked about tea as if it was like the greatest thing. Dirty water. Dirty
2: water. <laughs> <laughs> cool. For for us Americans, cool. it's
1: hard for us to really like understand that as a pleasure. Uh, what is it, uh, roddy leaf water? Um, <laughs> so uh, well, so uh,
0: well, I like that. One of the things that he talks about how he can fix this, this fact that now this patient's been pulled. He experienced a little touch of reality, which inevitably was going to, was going to the Wormwood's tactic with the patient was supposed to be to keeping him in this worldliness, this disconnected area from reality. Well, that circle of friends
1: right. and he uses the circle, that inner ring of belonging to dun, these, dun, dun. these highbrow like important people who are skeptics about everything and that there's this desire that we've talked about before the desire to be part of that and to be important and to really feel like you're making something of your ego and your identity by by just your association and none of it's actually really pleasurable. (laughs) yeah you have to pretend you like things that you don't like. you have to pretend you like people that are kind of boring or not you know detestable. It's difficult for me to say that because thinking people are as a bore uh that's <laughs> that's the way to get swallowed up by the earth but
0: <laughs> so, so there's so many parts i uh, and I know that hideous strength was a more recent book that we read before we jumped into into this, but I think even if we would have read it first, it just feels like he he wrote the nice. And he wrote Screw Tape Letters and there's just so much overlap here when it talks about how, like, he actually read a book that he liked. Yeah. Not a book that other people thought was cool. Not a book just so he could comment about it and people would think that, you know, finding real pleasure. And I like that he talks about, like, you know, one guy was kept away or kept safe by the enemy just by his, like, stamp collection or whatever. Tripe and onions? Tripe and onions or whatever, but just just these little pleasures and that we all have these raw materials, the, like the raw pleasures that we enjoy can point us towards God. Yeah. And I started thinking like, what are the, what are those? I, I'm sure that because of my, you know, I'm bathing in culture that I, there are some things pl- like small pleasures that I've let go that I want to find again. And then also I, I think I probably have held on to some of them. And I wonder what are those things that I just love no matter who hates it.
1: Just realizing that the space of enjoyment and of even pleasure, and we've talked about this before, but it's just another reminder that that is Aslan's country, hmm. right? That's really the character of God is he He created pleasures. The devils did not create the pleasures. Even the ones that come at the end of this process of sin, they're just trying to keep your mind in that process of the sin, and then, even then, there's still this residual pleasure that they can't help but,
0: dang it, yeah, it's like the, <laughs> you know they have to yield
1: to. Turns out you're on someone else's playing field. <laughs> By really yielding one's will, coming closer to as the the as Wormwood and Screw Tape would call the enemy, that's where the real pleasure lies. Not in adjoining the inner ring, not in pursuing these things that seem intellectually good. But that are experientially good, hmm. and the way to get there might involve moderation, and it might involve discipline, and well, it will involve discipline and obedience and moderation. But- so, so, and
0: that speaks to the counterattack that Screw Tape suggests: is anything, whatever you do, keep him from acting. He's yeah. had this experience; he's feeling all these things. But if you can keep him from acting, and I like the line: the more often he feels without
1: acting, the less he will ever be able to act and eventually even feel. They're exploiting our feelings, trying to make that what our motivation should be all about. And that will... in it, that will Keep it out of his will. Out. Right. That's like that process of addiction again, where if you seek endlessly for the feeling of a pleasure, it will become number and number, or will become number to it. Before we take a break,
0: I want to make sure in chapter 14, now the patient has become humble.
1: Hmm. Yes, let's talk about humility and how <laughs> humble we are. Uh, aren't, aren't we better than other people because of how much humbler we are than them? Pretty sure.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like that it says he wasn't making any more elaborate promises. Uh, his he was just hoping that he would get the daily and hourly help to
1: meet those the temptations of the moment. And this is very bad. <laughs> and this is very bad. It's very bad. What? Well, yeah. I mean, because there's this grandiosity that comes with a change of heart. and a conversion. Again. Yeah, never again. I'm going to do this. You know, it's the New Year's Day and all these resolutions that I'm going to make and that feels good. And then, uh-oh, unless I feel like I'm getting back in that space of grandiosity, maybe I'm not doing... Oh, wait, I'm just humble and praying and doing the, the day-to-day mundane sort of Christian behavior. This is why I'm so grateful for doing this because reading this book
0: has pulled me back to a more freak, a more uh, increased frequency of prayer, of just hour by hour, like searching for some of that grace and searching for some of that extra strength to be able to act in the moment, and um, it's it's been it's just been a a really helpful timely reminder of of putting this into practice. And praying once a week and having it being this amazing prayer where I promise all these things of what I'm going to do that week can be better is not it.
1: It should be something that's top
0: of mind and top priority in every moment.
1: Whenever I feel that sense of like, I'm in a godly state of mind right now. You're like, okay, do something about it and, and pray, even if just in gratitude. And it's like, sometimes I'll have this thought and it's so silly because I I know intellectually, I know that this is not what I mean by prayer, even to myself, but, um, oh, there's nothing to pray about. You don't, you don't have anything that you need to receive from God right now. So, you know, thinking of heavenly Santa rather than heavenly father and realizing that it's, it's good to, um, get in that state of mind and act and do something, uh, an actual action, not just say, I would if there were something to do. At the end, he talks about the goal
0: to fight against humility is to introduce dishonesty to the heart of a virtue. And that dishonesty is to value an opinion for an element other than truth. And that plays out by focusing on, instead of just humility being think less about yourself think more about others go and act it becomes i need to lower my opinion about myself which once again you've just pulled it out of reality into into intellect into intellect and started to think about what is my opinion of myself and how can i lower my opinion of myself so i can have this virtue of humility it's like shut up go act right <laughs> go just care about your neighbor more than you're caring about yourself right
1: now just stop (laughs) it's interesting yeah in order to make humility into pride take it out of the will and put into the intellect and start thinking oh look how humble i'm being until it turns to pride and then immediately stop and then put it back in the heart when it's pride (laughs) you know take the virtue they're trying to take the virtues out of our heart corrupt them and put them back in
0: (laughs) dang it man all right let's think about that let's take a break (laughs) get over ourselves and take a break okay okay (laughs) Alex, welcome to war. Oh, yeah. Or a lull in the war. I think it's a lull. Yeah. So the patient is less anxious. That's right. But I love this part. Past, present, and future. Virtues, charity, or love is in the present. Yeah, uh, gratitude. in the past. Gratitude's in the
1: past. Anxieties in the future. Anxiety, <laughs> we, lust, we, we, avarice. <laughs> obviously, understanding time in this way has its... Utility. Well, uh. when I say <laughs> <laughs> when I say utility, it's like it's hard not to like see that as such a bad place to be in one's mind because the prag- the terrible pragmatism. Go on, Frost. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch! That was a burn. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. I can handle it. <laughs> um, but where? What is most like eternity? Uh, the present. Isn't that weird? Yeah. When I think intellectually about eternity, I'm thinking that it's like a future sort of thing. And But I know, I mean, all things are present to God because he's eternal. And so that means that all of time is real to God. But we can only really experience reality in the present. And in that way, it's, what is it, illumined by the rays of eternity or something. It's like in the light of eternity. Um, and so to misunderstand that and to think that your virtue is all something in the future and to be preoccupied with the future, these, these great things that will maybe not even come to pass until after you're dead and to worry about that sort of thing. If that's where all of your virtue is, it's not real. It only exists in the fantasy realm of those concentric circles that's that's hard for me <laughs> I yeah. live so much I live, my mind is so preoccupied with the future. that's crazy that to realize that and to think, oh, I haven't even even been living real life because that's not real life yeah for for me, I get cut up
0: I mean I'm sure I get cut up in this in a lot of areas, but in trying to run an investment firm to some degree or another, I'm trying to predict what the future of the markets is going to be, and then align some type of investment thesis along these predictions. And so it's really easy to read the latest news articles about whatever war is going on or economic uncertainty and start to feel a lot of anxiety around, it. did I forecast this accurately? Which the answer is no, I didn't. And, it's, and so, so in trying to obviously and i think he says this that like we're biologically predisposed to to worry about the future yeah like to keep ourselves alive and so trying to balance that and even pull back and and mitigate that to keep us in the present worried about eternity which means concerned with god and then worried about the present which is concerned with our
1: responsibility yeah you can look to the to future act. if you're planning for things that will be the present Right, but right. to get caught up there. I, I mean, right now, our world is experiencing some turmoil and wars that aren't right, as we're talking, happening in our country. Yeah. And there's people calling for that. And you know, it's it's tricky because all of these things can only really exist for us in abstraction. We could say, oh, what well, those people on the other side of the world. And it's important for our empathy uh, to go out that way. But if my concern for something that's happening on the other side of the world makes me treat my neighbor poorly because they have the wrong opinion about what's going on on the other side of the world, as far as my experience, the only real thing that's happening is I'm being a jerk to my neighbor.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So I'm mean, there, there is responsibility. I mean, goodness is goodness and things that, you know, virtue is Virtue, there's things that are true and we should make accurate assessments about things. But then when we do that, if it, the only thing that is real about our soul is what we're doing with now and here, if I become so preoccupied with foreign conflict that it makes me kind of irritable and grumpy with my kids, then it's, well, the devils can sure use that against me. I like, I like that he makes
0: sure to distinguish this idea of living in the present with uh, the popularized notion of live in the present, which yeah. is more just pretend that the future is not going to be, not going to have any problems. Right. To and how- so live in the present, live in the moment, whatever, which, I mean, I think this is pervasive. Uh, whereas it, living in the moment doesn't mean to pretend the future's not going to have its problems. Yeah,
1: your future's just going to be full of ease and recreation. And that's what the recreation idea of living in the present. It seems that's usually what people are doing is justifying why they spend so much of their time. Recreating. <laughs> doing doing fun things. Yeah. You know, and it, not that fun things are bad. In fact, the pleasure and the fun of recreating is that's in Aslan's country. That's a That's a good thing. But if it keeps you away from reality. Responsibility. Responsibility. That's right. And keeps you believing things that might not be true. Like there's nothing, Hakuna Matata, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's our first Lion King reference. Um, what what did you think about the section about
0: church and what church we go to and and he talks about the different
1: pastors? You've already mentioned them a little bit. Well, that's what's tricky too, with you know, because you and I are part of the same Christian tradition, and a lot of the people, which is not what C.S. Lewis was. There we're different denominations. And then it's like, oh wait, if I like C.S. Lewis, is he going to be upset with me? You know, (laughs) if if I don't, you know, change, do some uh, church shopping. When you said that, I just wished I had a really good C.S. Lewis impersonation. I'm disappointed. (laughs) 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 Um, yeah. What sort of elements about the different denominations can be utilized by the devils? the factions, the, factions, the uh, competitive ideas of each religious club. And by taking those clubs so seriously and saying, we're right, they're wrong. and And the type of contention that arises from that is easily used. Versus laying
0: ourselves open and humbly receiving a sermon or a scripture. And it's not that we don't like We can obviously talk ideas and and, uh, we should find untruths or whatever. Like we're searching for truth through this process. But I like that he says any sermon, almost any sermon uh, can be educational and help us move us in the right direction if we're approaching it with the right spirit.
1: And that the church shopping mindset is almost a way of taking God's will and forcing it into your will. And there's also... Different types of mindsets from church leadership that can be problematic too. Yeah, he even identifies. I'm pretty sure these aren't really the names of different church leaders, but he he names some like Father Spike. Is that one? Yeah, of them? and he identifies their motivations in their congregations to be just hatred of anything that's not what they believe. It sounded a lot like the philosophies of men mingled with scripture as being something that the is the purpose of those congregations or at least of that specific church leader
0: yeah he warns he warns against the philosophies of men mingled with scripture and he warns against a diluted version of the gospel yeah where it's just being dumbed down to make it more palatable so everyone can understand and i think that's something that I don't think Christ ever did. I think He always invited you further up and further in, like as at to whatever level you
1: can. Um, Yeah, not that the gospel is just agreeable. Yeah, it's going to demand your whole soul.
0: Next up, gluttony. How was this one for you? (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: see, the problem is is I have problems with both of the parts of gluttony.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just—it's funny the line, like where where the that only this restaurant sears the best steak. And I swear in the last three weeks, I've been in nine different conversations with people telling me where the best steak
1: was seared. And I'm like, this is just <laughs> creepy. You start looking for it. you'll see the uh, <laughs> particularity of the daintiness, the del- the what does he call it? Delicacy. Mm, yeah, yeah, gluttony is. and delicacy is a type of gluttony. we We only think, I mean, it's typical to think of gluttony as just being excess in quantities. Yeah, Thanksgiving A, meal, right. gluttony, not... Not an excess in particularity. Yeah. Because something is small or cheap, you can say, you know, putting out the the waitress who's overworked by making them do something exactly how you want it and justifying it by, by it not being too much in your estimation. Yeah, and when you care so much
0: about Either the quantity of the food put in front of you or the way your steak was seared, that it puts you out. Mm -hmm. Then that's where charity, justice
1: and obedience are at your mercy. Yeah, right. It's that the word that kept coming to mind was particularity. I'm too much too particular about the way that I want things or think things ought to be right? In, in from a better light, you could call it conscientiousness, but I think that there's a right way to do things. And unless it's done that way, I think there's a problem, but that's just a way to really practice making your ego super important. And that's a scary skill to practice because if the ultimate goal is yielding of your ego, yielding your will to the will of God, but all you've been practicing is how important your will is. You're just making that final surrender more difficult and further away. And you are drawing away from the object of that surrender. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. 18,
0: 19 and 20. We've got sex and love. It's funny. uh, screw tape starts
1: to backpedal here a little bit.
0: Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> you know, I didn't actually mean some of that stuff.
1: And that guy, I, I bagged on back then. <laughs> you know, I think Glubos is fine. <laughs> it seems like he's caught in the state of fear and stupid confidence, isn't it? Yeah. that's the And that's that's our destinations, right? If, if we're really buying into this program, the, our ultimate destiny will be forever to live out the most silly parts of our mortal experience. Getting songs stuck in our head, for forever and par- participating in things that we never even wanted or enjoyed hmm. and this and the secret to get us trapped in that mindset is seek out only what we want and what we think we enjoy that that contradiction is something that's uh i th- i think we all can feel it more than we understand it like the Supreme Court uh, uh, judge's idea of pornography. I don't know what, how to define it, but I know it when I see it. <laughs> 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 Which, it re- you know, so much of our life is like that. It's hard to define. It's hard to intellectualize. But we know... It's good someone so
0: intellectual can own that it's hard to describe, but I know it when I see it. Exactly. And I, like I think that.
1: a lot of the the temptations toward the superficial pleasures are like that. Yeah, where I can say some some version of asceticism is the path to more joy, more experience of pleasure, more um, more reality, and it seems almost contradictory. And that contradiction, we could try to intellectualize and use it as a weapon toward virtue, or weapon against virtue, not toward. We could use that as a weapon against virtue. And Screwtape kind of jumps on that because he can't understand what the enemy's idea of love is. It seems logically uh, contradictory. Yeah, because,
0: well, but originally he did say that's the crazy thing is he actually loves them. He really like doubled down on that. But now he's worried about the PR police or coming after him. And so now he has to say, well, we, you know, we all know he doesn't
1: actually love him logically, but he seemed to believe it before. He believed it until he had to reconcile what that meant and realizing that he didn't really understand what selflessness meant. Hmm. The ability to care for somebody else's good without making it just a path for your own good. It seems contradictory. How do you be filled? How, how can you experience joy? Well, trying to increase the joy and happiness of other people.
0: That's interesting because I, I had kind of read it as kind of evil, deep down in their heart, kind of knows. Mm. And so once he was caught and worried that maybe his letters were getting out, he had to toe the party line and go back to, what well, we don't really know and we're doing all this stuff. Yeah. But maybe deep down, like, there's got to be some part of, I, I guess he doesn't have a soul or maybe does, but... <laughs> <laughs> understands? But maybe, I don't know. I could be No, out. you're <laughs> right.
1: You're right. Maybe I'm getting caught up in forgetting that the devil is a liar. And all of this is something that Screwtape's pretending not to understand. And he talks about his father, their father, and that yeah. the thrusting out of heaven was really his, like inability to reconcile this idea of love instead of glory for his own sake. And so, yeah, maybe this is all pretense. Maybe this is all... Um...
0: That's my. That's one of my favorite lines. I wish with all my heart that you did. Yeah. When, when, he, when he's talking about him getting thrust that, out and he's like, what's the secret? It can't really be like I don't understand it. I don't understand <laughs> I wish with all my heart that you did that.
1: Bra- Bravo, Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> so that contradiction is kind of what screw tapes going to and maybe he's in the process he has to also fool wormwood into thinking that love is impossible yeah and so in that intellectual impossibility of love that's where he they're going to use the corruption and get the humans the bipeds to think something else yeah should we play our clip or did you have something else uh, the last thing, and I think
0: this will flow into the clip, is uh, that logic comes down to that to be is to be in competition. Mm-hmm. And it's that where love is that by seeking the good of someone else, it can be also for your own good versus seeking my good is going to put me in competition with anyone else around ar- that I that's around me. And... Along with that, I just saw, I guess it was a meme or whatever the other day that was essentially making fun of or flippantly talking about how how is it that an all-powerful, all-knowing God, this being is so bent on the fact that all of these little humans need to be worshiping him and praying to him and, and, you know, give me all your adoration because I need, you know, I'm this needy God figure, right? Right. Which what's lost here is could it be that a loving God is asking this of us? For us. For us. Yeah. <laughs> Could it be that maybe... No, do, of course not. In, no, no. I'm just going to project all of my imperfection <laughs> right back, right
1: right back at him. That's right. Anyways. So <laughs> well, yeah, we can jump into the clip. That was just something I, I really liked. <laughs> So just to set up the clip a little bit, this is from the end of chapter 18 and talking about some of the confusion, maybe the illogical contradiction of the way that we think about love and have defined love, and the purpose of marriage even.
2: Hmm. Humans can be made to infer the false belief that the blend of affection, fear, and desire, which they call being in love, is the only thing that makes marriage either happy or holy. The error is easy to produce because being in love does very often in Western Europe precede marriages which are made in obedience to the enemy's designs, that is, with the intention of fidelity, fertility, and goodwill just as religious emotion very often, but not always, attends conversion. In other words, the humans are to be encouraged to regard as the basis for marriage a highly coloured and distorted version of something the enemy really promises as its result. Two advantages follow. In the first place, humans who have not the gift of continence can be deterred from seeking marriage as a solution because they do not find themselves in love And, thanks to us, the idea of marrying with any other motive seems to them low and cynical. Yes, they think that. They regard the intention of loyalty to a partnership for mutual help, for the preservation of chastity, and for the transmission of life as something lower than a storm of emotion.
1: I listened to that so many times, and even that time, it just, like, hit me. That yes, they really believe that. Yes, they really. Believe. That some storm of emotions is more important than all this list of virtue. And it's looked down on in our modern culture as it being something less than love. And every time we're saying love in that context, it's just this emotional experience of lust with somebody else as the object.
0: And we do this even when we see an 80-year-old couple walking down the street holding hands, we say, "See, they still love each other. Love is alive, romance is alive." That's right. And we tie and when we say that, we're tying it back to a 20-year-old couple getting married and that they, you know, can't keep their hands off each other
1: because they're so in love. Right. This storm of emotion. It feels good to say that what we see in as love in or the successful relationships of love are just the Twitter patient of courtship.
0: Yeah. Versus when you see an 80-year-old couple who have built a marriage on their loyalty to each other and stayed chaste and stayed focused on the good and loving those around them, um, seeing that as a more desirable and virtuous like path of life and a more virtuous relationship. We don't put that on a pedestal, at least not often enough. It reminded
1: me of the dimbles. Hmm. And what's interesting about their characters is that even, um, even Marjorie was fond of Cecil's pupils. Like they were the way that their love, um, I think one of the ways that their love was manifest was in the way that they treated younger generations. The, the way that they treated each other still kind of happened behind closed doors. We got a little peek into that with the way that they were whispering to each other when when Venus was present at St. Anne's and that there was still a little bit of, not to say that that Twitter patient can't exist, but it can't be the object, it can't be the focus of what it means for them to be in this relationship. But their their relationship was seemed to be um, devoid of jealousy and of competition and actually wasn't really about them anymore. It was about treating other people well, and they were able to talk with each other in an understanding way, but all of their focus of their virtue was in helping people around them. They they were like one flesh. The relationship wasn't about this, this, um, drama between their two egos, their egos were one. And then the way that they interacted with the world was with charity. And I think that's, I mean, I'd like to say, I think it's, I'd like to like say that that's characteristic of my relationship with my wife. And sometimes my relationship with my wife is way too competitive or too much about how we're talking to each other and who's got the, who plays what role better and how equally are we sharing all of the roles that supposedly are indications of equality. And all that stuff seems to be just be distraction from going about and doing good. You know, am I, is the way that I interact with our kids. Is that the real, I mean, I have a lot of, insecurity about that because that's like all of my education is focused in that direction how do i interact with kids in a way to help them develop appropriately and then when i see my wife do it better than me it's hard not to be like well i'm sh- what do I, you know what am i for if not that?" And instead of thinking rejoicing in that as much as i would if i had done it myself because good is happening hmm. it's so hard this this contradictory seemingly contradictory attitude of what love is and how even in the most seemingly innocent and benevolent type context we still diminish it to just this twitter patient and a storm of emotions but what's so what's so valuable valuable about what we're
0: reading and what we're talking about is if you set your ladder up against the wrong wall If your pursuit in your marriage is to try to maintain the storm of emotions or maintain some of these, um, you will fail. And then when the disappointment hits, you're going to feel like, hey, I was sold a bag of goods like this. Um, You're going to feel like maybe, you know, maybe you entered marriage Because of your religious beliefs and you wanted to be faithful and these other things. But the problem was, is you then you set up as your end goal, something
1: that wasn't ever supposed to be (laughs) what your end goal is. Right. And what's scary is that storm of emotions is still available to you, just not through your spouse. It's going to end. Yeah. That's what you remember when, uh, I think it's frost who tells wither that the effect of aphrodisiac does not turn a man to his wife. Yeah. You know, if you're going to stimulate this, (laughs) this storm of emotions, it's not going to be directed toward the person with whom you feel secure and safe, because what does he call it? He says this mix of fear and desire. If you have a good, solid relationship with somebody, a committed relationship, it won't have fear. And the desire won't be based on this unattainable thing or this the the this risky thing and so if you want this twitter patient a lot of that is the result of fear and anticipation and and the unknown and all of this like self gratifying use of an object and if you're at one with somebody they can't be an object to you because it's you so that's the tricky that's what i think is tricky is like if you wanted to find love like that And in our world, that's ubiquitous. In fact, you start talking about love as charity and people will scoff at you. Right. You talk about love as this, oh, look, the romance is still alive, which (laughs) I don't know. That always seems like a projection or a a front. It's like, what's the, you know, when somebody starts posting on social media about how awesome and sexy their spouses like uh oh (laughs) they're in trouble (laughs) they're trying to (laughs) reignite this fire that they that they've defined love to be and unfortunately they haven't moved on to real love they haven't moved on past that storm of emotion and it is stormy
0: thank you for being in our book club we hope you'll continue with us As always, we love your participation with comments, questions, even criticisms or corrections. You can email us a message or voice memo at bookclub at mountainair.media, M-T-N-A-I-R. And please subscribe, rate, and review
1: on the podcast app. Yeah, and thanks for listening. See you next week. See you next week.